Section three of the letters of Madame de Savigny to her daughter and friends. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Letter six. Paris, Friday, April first, sixteen seventy one. I returned yesterday from Saint Germain with Madame d'Apajon. Everyone at court inquired after you. Among the rest, it will not be amiss, I think, to distinguish the Queen, who accosted me and asked how my daughter was after her affair upon the Rhone. I returned Her Majesty thanks for the honour she did in remembering you. She then desired me to tell her in what manner you had liked to have been lost. I accordingly gave her an account of your crossing the river in a storm of wind, and that a sudden gust had thrown you under an arch within an inch of one of the piles, which, if you had once touched, all the world could not have saved you. But, says the Queen, was her husband with her? Yes, madam, and the coadjutor too. Really, said she, they were greatly to blame. She gave two or three alasses while I was talking to her, and said many obliging things of you. Afterward, a number of ladies came in, and among the rest, the young Duchess of Ventadour, very fine and very handsome. It was some time before they brought her the divine tabaret, footnote, the tabaret is a stool to sit on in the presence of the Queen, a privilege never enjoyed but by ladies of the first quality, back to main text. Ah, said I, turning to the Grand Master, footnote, the Count de Lude, Grand Master of the Artillery, back to main text. Why do they not give it to her? She has purchased it dearly enough. Footnote. Monsieur de Ventadour was not only very ugly and deformed, but at the same time a great debauchee. Back to main text. He was of my opinion. In the midst of a silence in the circle, the Queen turned to me and asked me who my granddaughter was like. Monsieur de Grignon, madame, replied I, upon which Her Majesty exclaimed, Indeed, I am sorry for it, and added in a low tone of voice, She had better have resembled her mother or her grandmother. So you see how much I am indebted to you in making my court. Marshal Belfort made me promise to distinguish him from the crowd. I made your compliments to Monsieur and Madame Durat, and to Mrs. de Charo and Montazien tutte quanti, not to forget the Dauphin and Mademoiselle, who both talked a great deal to me about you. I likewise saw Madame de Loudre. She accosted me with an excess of civility and kindness that surprised me, and talked in the most affectionate manner of you. When all of a sudden, as I was going to make her a suitable answer, I found she was not attending to me, and saw her fine eyes wandering round the room. I presently perceived it, and those who saw I took notice of it were pleased with me and could not help laughing. I have been extremely diverted with our hurly-burly headdresses. Some of them looked as if you could have blown them off their shoulders. 
Ninon, footnote Ninon de L'Enclos, famous for her wit and free thinking, back to main text, said that La Choiseur was as like the flaunting hostess of an inn as one drop of water to another. A most excellent simile. But that Ninon is a dangerous creature. If you only knew how she argues upon religion, it would make you shudder. Her zeal to pervert the minds of young people is much the same as that of a certain Monsieur de Saint-Germain that we saw once at Livry. She says your brother, quote, has all the simplicity of the dove, that he is just like his mother, but that Madame de Grignon has all the fire of the family and has more sense than to be so docile. A certain person would have taken your part and put her out of conceit with you on that head, but she bid him hold his tongue and told him that she knew more of the matter than he did. What a depravity of taste! Because she knows you to be handsome and witty, she must needs saddle you with the other qualification, without which, according to her rule, there is no being perfect. I am greatly concerned for the harm she does my son in this point, but do not take any notice of it to him. Madame de Lafayette and I use all our endeavours to disengage him from so dangerous an attachment. Besides her, he has a little actress, footnote, La Champelet, back to main text, and all the players of the town upon his hands, to whom he gives suppers. In short, he is perfectly infatuated. You know what a joke he makes of Mascaron? I fancy your meanim, footnote the priest who preached at Grignon, back to main text, would suit him. I never read anything more diverting than what you wrote to me about that man. I read it to Monsieur La Rochefoucauld, who laughed heartily at it. He desires me to tell you that there is a certain apostle who was running up and down after his rib, which he would fain appropriate to himself as part of his goods and chattels, but unluckily for him, he is not clever at enterprise. I fancy Melusina has fallen into some pit. We do not hear a single word about her. Monsieur de la Rochefoucauld says besides that if he was only thirty years younger, he should certainly have a great inclination for Monsieur de Grignon's third rib. Footnote, that is, the Madame de Grignon, who is Monsieur de Grignon's third wife. Back to main text. That part of your letter where you say he has already had two of his ribs broken, made him laugh heartily. We always wish for some oddity or other to divert you, but we very much doubt whether this has not turned out rather more to your satisfaction than ours. After all, we pity you extremely in not having the word of God preached in a suitable manner. Ah, that bolt I loo. His sermon on the Passion was, they say, the most perfect thing of its kind that can be imagined. It was the same he preached last year, but revised and altered with the assistance of some of his friends, that it might be wholly inimitable. How can one love God if one never hears him properly spoken of? You must really possess a greater portion of grace than others. 
We went the other day to hear the Abbe Montmore, footnote afterward, Bishop of Bayonne, back to main text. I never heard a prettier sermon for so young a beginner. I wish you had such a one in the room of your minim. He made the sign of the cross and gave out his text. He did not anathematize his audience. He did not load us with abuse. He told us not to be under any apprehensions concerning death, since it was the only passage we had to a glorious resurrection with Jesus Christ. We agreed with him in this, and everyone went away contented. He has nothing offensive in his manner. He imitates Monsieur Rajon without copying him. He has a modest confidence, is learned and pious. In short, I was highly pleased with him. Letter 7. Paris, Friday, April the 10th, 1671. I wrote to you on Wednesday by the post, yesterday by Magalotti, and today again by the post. But last night I lost a charming opportunity. I went to walk at Vincennes on Troche, footnote with her friend Madame de la Troche, back to main text, and by the way, met with a string of galley slaves. They were going to Marseille and will be there in about a month. Nothing could have been surer than this mode of conveyance, but another thought came into my head which was to go with them myself. There was one Duval among them who appeared to be a conversable man. You will see them when they come in. And I suppose you would have been agreeably surprised to have seen me in the midst of the crowd of women that accompany them. I wish you knew of what importance the words Provence, Marseille, X are become to me. Even the Rhone, that devilish Rhone, and Lyon are something to me. Brittany and Burgundy appear like places under the pole in which I take no sort of interest. I may say with Coulange, or the surprising power of my Oviaton. Really, my child, it was admirable in you to desire the Abbe, footnote, the Abbe de Coulange, who lived with his niece, Madame de Sévigné, back to main text, to prevent my sending you any more presents. What nonsense! Do I, in reality, make you any? You call the newspapers I send you by that name. You never can divest me of the desire of thus giving. It is the most sensible pleasure I can enjoy. You should rather rejoice with me if I indulged myself more frequently in it. The method you took of thanking me was highly pleasing to me. Your letters are excellent. One might venture to say they were not dictated by the good ladies of the country where you reside? I find that Monsieur de Grignon, to his other connections with you, adds that of being your companion. He seems to me the only one who understands you. Be careful to preserve the happiness of his heart by the tenderness of yours, and consider that if you do not both love me, each according to your proper degree of estimation, You'll be the most ungrateful of beings. The new opinion that there is no such thing as ingratitude in the world 
appears to me for the reasons which we have so frequently discussed like the philosophy of descartes and the contrary one like that of aristotle you know the deference i always paid to the authority of the latter it is the same with respect to my opinion of ingratitude i should pronounce you then my child to be a little ungrateful wretch but happily and the idea constitutes all my comfort i know you to be incapable of such conduct and i therefore yield without reserve to the feelings of my heart adieu my dearest love i am going to close this letter i shall write to you another to-night in which i shall give you an account of the occurrences of the day we are every day in hopes of letting your house you may suppose i can forget nothing that relates to you i am as interested in your affairs as the most selfish being ever was in his own letter eight friday night april the tenth sixteen seventy one i make up my packet at monsieur la rochefoucauld's who embraces you very heartily he is delighted with your answer about the canons and father desmar there is some pleasure in sending you these trifles you answer them so prettily he begs you to be assured that you still live strongly in his remembrance and that if he hears anything worth your notice he will certainly communicate it to you he is at his hotel de rochefoucauld having no longer any hopes of recovering the use of his feet he talks of going to the waters i am for sending him to digne others to bourbon i dined on bavardin footnote that is at madame de lavardin's who is extremely fond of news back to main text and in so complete a style that i thought we should have died we did not talk merely as we used to we did nothing but chatter Branca was overturned the other day into a ditch where he found himself so much at his ease that he asked those who came to help him out if they had any occasion for his services his glasses were all broken and his head would have been so too if he had not been more lucky than wise but all this did not seem to have destroyed his reverie in the least i wrote this morning to let him know he had been overturned and was very near breaking his neck as i supposed he was the only person in paris who was ignorant of it and that i took the opportunity of expressing the concern it gave me i expect his answer letter nine from monsieur de la rochefoucauld's friday evening april the twenty fourth sixteen seventy one here then i make up my packet I had intended to tell you that the king arrived yesterday evening at Chantilly. He hunted the stag by moonlight, the lamps did wonders, the fireworks were a little eclipsed by the brightness of our serene friend the moon, but the evening, the supper and the entertainment went off admirably well. The weather we had yesterday gave us hopes of an end worthy of so fine a beginning. But what do you think I learned when I came here? I'm not yet recovered, and hardly know what I write. Vatel, 
the great Vatel, late maître d'hôtel de Monsieur Fouquet, and in that capacity with the prince, a man so eminently distinguished for taste and whose abilities were equal to the government of a state, this man, whom I knew so well, finding at eight o'clock this morning that the fish he had sent for did not come at the time he expected it, and unable to bear the disgrace that he thought would inevitably attach to him, ran himself through with his own sword. Guess what confusion so shocking an accident must have occasioned. I think, too, that perhaps the fish might have come in just as he was expiring. I know no more of the affair at present, and I suppose you think this enough. I make no doubt the consternation was general. It must be very disagreeable to have so fatal an event break in upon an entertainment that cost fifty thousand crowns. Monsieur de Ménard is to be married to Mademoiselle de la Grange Navy, but I do not know how I can have the heart to speak to you about anything but Vatel. Letter 10 Paris, Sunday, April the 26th, 1671. This is Sunday, April the 26th, and this letter will not go out till Wednesday. But it is not so much a letter as a narrative that I have just learned from Moreux of what passed at Chantilly with regard to poor Vatel. I wrote to you last Friday that he had stabbed himself. These are the particulars of the affair. The king arrived there on Thursday night. The walk and the collation, which was served in a place set apart for the purpose and strewed with jonquils, were just as they should be. Supper was served, but there was no roast meat at one or two of the tables, on account of Bartel's having been obliged to provide several dinners more than were expected. This affected his spirits, and he was heard to say several times, I have lost my honour. I cannot bear this disgrace. My head is quite bewildered, said he to Gourville. I have not had a wink of sleep these twelve nights. I wish you would assist me in giving orders. Gourville did all he could do to comfort and assist him, but the failure of the roast meat which, however, did not happen at the king's table, but at some of the other twenty-five, was always uppermost with him. Gourvia mentioned it to the prince, who went directly to Vatel's apartment and said to him, Everything is extremely well conducted, Vatel. Nothing could be more admirable than his majesty's supper. Your highness's goodness, replied he, overwhelms me. I am sensible that there was a deficiency of roast meat at two tables. Not at all, said the prince. Do not perplex yourself and all will go well. Midnight came. The fireworks did not succeed. They were covered with a thick cloud. They cost 16,000 francs. At four o'clock in the morning, Vatel went round and found everybody asleep. He met one of the under-purveyors who had just come in with only two loads of fish. What, said he, is this all? 
Yes, sir, said the man, not knowing that Vattel had dispatched other people to all the seaports around. Vattel waited for some time. The other purveyors did not arrive. His head grew distracted. He thought there was no more fish to be had. He flew to Gorville. Sir, said he, I cannot outlive this disgrace. Gorville laughed at him. Patel, however, went to his apartment, and setting the hilt of his sword against the door, after two ineffectual attempts, succeeded in the third in forcing his sword through his heart. At that instant, the carriers arrived with the fish. Bartel was inquired after to distribute it. They ran to his apartment, knocked at the door, but received no answer, upon which they broke it open and found him weltering in his blood. A messenger was immediately dispatched to acquaint the prince with what had happened. He was like a man in despair. The duke wept, for his burgundy journey depended upon Vatel. The prince related the whole affair to his majesty with an expression of great concern. It was considered as a consequence of too nice a sense of honour. Some blamed, others praised him for his courage. The king said he had put off this excursion for more than five years because he was aware that it would be attended with infinite trouble, and told the prince that he ought to have had but two tables and not have been at the expense of so many, and declared he would never suffer him to do so again. But all this was too late for poor Vatel. However, Gourville attempted to supply the loss of Vatel, which he did in great measure. The dinner was elegant, the collation was the same. They supped, they walked, they hunted. All was perfumed with jonquils, all was enchantment. Yesterday, which was Saturday, the same entertainments were renewed, and in the evening the king set out for Lioncourt, where he had ordered a medianoche, footnote. Medianoche is a flesh meal just after midnight among the Roman Catholics. Back to main text. He is to stay there three days. This is what Marreux has told me, hoping I should acquaint you with it. I wash my hands of the rest, for I know nothing about it. Monsieur Duckfield, who was present at the scene, will no doubt give you a faithful account of all that has passed, but because his handwriting is not quite so legible as mine, I write too. If I am circumstantial, it is because on such an occasion I should like circumstantiality myself. End of section 3